0: So on January 9th, 2007, the CEO of Apple at the time, Steve Jobs, stood on a stage and he said this. He said, every once in a while, a product comes along that changes everything. And then he debuted the iPhone to the world. And I think that now, over a decade later, most of us would agree that he got it right. That, that now, 12 years after that, due to the, the proliferation of smartphones, social media, and other technologies, everything has changed in our culture. Things are now different. I mean, think about it. Now, we can connect with anybody pretty much anytime, almost anywhere in the world. And it's not just phone calls like we used to be able to do. Now we can message and we can video chat. I mean, I've heard stories of, of soldiers who were deployed watching their child born through FaceTime. So you can connect with other people. And not only that, there is more information at our fingertips than ever before. I mean, think about that. More than any other group of people in human history, we have access to almost unlimited information. So if you want to know the history of the Roman Empire, you can just look it up. If you want to know how to steam broccoli perfectly, you can look it up. If you have an ache or a pain and you want to scare yourself and figure out everything that could be wrong with you, you can just type it in your phone and you can look it up. There is an app for pretty much everything now. If you need somebody to walk your dog, they'll send somebody. You need somebody to mount your flat screen TV. You need somebody to teach you a new skill. You can learn it on YouTube. Now things have changed a great deal in our culture. And because things have changed so much and actually so rapidly, kids, students, adults, and even older adults, I think, can relate to the things going on in this video. So I invite you to sit back for about a minute and watch this. saw him pull out of the parking lot and turn right, and the box was still stuck under his car. So who knows how long he was driving with that box under his car. I like bet he got home, he pulled into his driveway. Right, how many of you could relate to that video? Things have changed. Things have changed in our culture very rapidly. And as people of faith, sometimes we 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 haven't always had these conversations about technology, social media, smartphones, and and what they're doing to us and how we're called to use them and engage them. And so this morning, that's the question I want us to look at together. Is how should we as Christians respond to this huge cultural shift? Or more specifically, how should we as Christians think about these things and engage these things in our everyday lives? And when we begin thinking about this question and these questions, I mean, one place to start is church history. Because if you think about it, for the last 2,000 years, the church has experienced many huge cultural shifts And the church has also experienced many huge changes in communication methods. And the church largely has usually been at the forefront, at the edge of using these tools to spread the good news of the kingdom of God. And so you think about Jesus. As Gene said earlier, Jesus was living in an oral culture. And so Jesus largely taught people through stories like parables and through sermons. And people shared his teachings with one another through word of mouth. And then you have people like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, living in the Roman Empire, was living in an age when something unprecedented had happened where the Romans had built a roadway system of over 250,000 miles of road that connected places that had never been connected before. And so what Paul did is he wrote letters and then he sent them down those roads and they spread rapidly to people in far-off places. And then many years later, you have Johannes Gutenberg, who invented the printing press. And everything changed, especially for people of faith, because for really the first time now, Christians could read the Bible in their homes for the first time on their own. And they didn't just hear it read aloud in worship. Then you have TV, radio, you have pioneers like Billy Graham, who were at the forefront Of that, And and then for the first time now, any American that had a radio or a television could hear a sermon in the comfort of their own home. And then, of course, the Internet comes along. And uh, this is a a self-proclaimed title they give themselves. But Saddleback Church says they were the first church to have a website. 1992, they had a website long before any of us were even thinking about the Internet. And churches have been at the cutting edge ever since using these new communication tools. And so because the church has always been at the edge, using these new things to help spread the good news of the gospel, one of the approaches that, that people have taken and churches have taken to technology is an approach uh, of what I'll call enthusiastic embrace. Enthusiastic embrace. Um, in your bullets, and there's some fill in the blanks if, if you wanna want to follow along, or you can just listen to view on the screen, but enthusiastic embrace is an approach to technology that says, look, we were, we were created to be creative people and these technologies seem to be gifts from God and so we need to use them in any way we can to spread the message of Christ to other people. We need to be at the forefront. We need to be using everything that we're able to do any way, any time, any how we can Otherwise, we're going to risk becoming irrelevant, or even more irrelevant, in our society. And so churches that kind of take this approach have often been at the the cutting edge of social media and technology. Now, the problem with this approach is that sometimes when people and groups enthusiastically embrace all new technologies, one of the things that they fail to realize is that while we were created in the image of God, while we were created to be creative people, we're also sinful people. We're also sinful people and everything we touch is affected by sin and can really be infected by sin. And so these technologies, while, yeah, you you might see them as neutral in and of themselves, when they're used by people, can often be used in harmful ways. And these things can be used for evil in the world. And so, in response to people who are enthusiastically embracing all of this stuff, other groups of people have taken a different approach. And that is strict separation. This is the approach that that says hey, you know what, we need to just separate ourselves from all of this technology. This is maybe, you know, an Amish approach. Some Mennonite communities, some more fundamentalist communities would say, look, we need to separate our things from ourselves from this technology because this technology is really helping turn us away from God and away from other people. And so we need to really turn away from it. As you can imagine, this is a very hard approach to maintain in our culture today because technology infiltrates pretty much everything we do. And so this is difficult and I I think, you know, a lot of times these tools, they're not necessarily inherently good. Or evil. A lot of times they're, they're, they're pretty neutral. They might push us in certain directions, but they're pretty neutral. It's us who use them, and we can use them for great good, or we can use them for great harm in the world. And so that's why this morning, as we think about how do we think about these things and approach these things, I want to offer a third approach, and that is one of disciplined discernment. And now, I know discernment is a big churchy word, and by discipline, I mean, one, just making intentional decisions about these things. Discernment is really a word that I'm using here to say, look, we don't want to enthusiastically embrace everything that comes our way. We don't want to necessarily strictly separate ourselves. These things can be used for good, for, be used for harm. And so we need to be discerning. We need to use the wisdom that God gives us from Scripture, from His Spirit, from the community of faith. We need to use wisdom to decide How? When? Why? And at times, whether we use all of these things. So I think we need to take an approach of disciplined discernment. And now, this approach is really based in a passage from Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Some of you are familiar with this one, but I'll I'll read it out loud for you. It says this, Paul writes, Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, and then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So Paul is telling us here, look, don't, don't copy Everything that's going on in our culture, don't copy the behavior, don't copy the customs, don't copy the culture. Instead, he's saying, look, you need to be renewed by God's spirit and God's word. You need to be transformed in your thinking. And if you know about psychology, as your thinking changes, so does your living. And as your living changes and as the living of of groups of people like communities and churches, then culture begins to change. And so Paul's saying, look, we don't need to just imitate culture. We need to, to engage culture and really bring about the best culture. And that's what I think we need to do when it comes to technology. We need to be wise and we need to be discerning. And all the while, we need to use it to spread God's message of love and redemption to all people in the different ways that we can. And so this morning, I want to offer you kind of three principles to help guide how we, we think about technology, and how we use it in our everyday lives. And now, if you know anything about the Bible, you know it was written a long time ago, so it's not like there's a scripture in verse where it just talks about, you know, your iPhone and whether you should download that app or not, right? And so sometimes we have to go back and we have to try to draw upon different principles as we're guided in all of these things. And the principles that I'm going to give you, um, they're rooted in scripture, but they're also first articulated by the founder of Methodism, John Wesley. They were, they were articulated by him. And so I'm going to share these with you in hopes that they will help your phone serve you and so that you're not serving your phone. They'll help technology, smartphone, social media, all of that be a servant to you instead of a master to you. Because I believe these tools, they can be great servants. They can help us in many ways, do many things. But they're terrible masters when they're over us. And they're tyrants in our lives, constantly controlling us. And so when we, we think about these three principles, John Wesley, when he first articulated them, he called them the three general rules. And he first mentioned these in the 1700s, so these aren't anything new. And he articulated them when a group of people came to him and they said, Look, we are, we're convinced of our sin. We want to love Jesus more. We want our lives transformed. How should we live? How, how should we live together? And so he said, look, if you do these three things, if you begin doing these things, this will help God guide you on a path, a path to a more Christ-like life. And I think these rules, they can apply to our lives generally, and they will help you. But I also think they can apply to our technological lives, and they can help us use these things for good as well. And I'll just say this at the outset too of these three principles that even if you're, you're not a believer in Jesus or faith or any of this stuff, I think if you begin living these things out, they will still help you and help your life every single day. And so the first principle that John Wesley said, he said this, he said in your life, and I'll say in your technological life, the first principle is this, do no harm. Do no harm. When you're approaching these things, one of the approaches you need to take and the principles you need to live by is that however you're using, whatever you're using, you commit to doing no harm. And really this principle and all the principles are rooted in the greatest commandment, which you might remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22. One day somebody came to him and said, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And this principle of do no harm is is really rooted in these commandments because you can't truly be loving somebody and truly be harming them at the same time. So part of loving other people is first doing no harm to other people. And when it comes to our phones and technology, now that we've really had this stuff for about two decades now, we're beginning to see that a lot of times these things have been used by us and against us to harm us. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've seen that in your life, but this week in my weekly email, I said, hey, I'd love to hear from you. What's one thing you like most about technology? What's one thing you like the least? And one common answer was this one. Somebody said, I waste a ton of time on my phone. I can sit for hours on it and become lethargic. Anybody identify with that statement? No, just me? Okay. You know, and one interesting thing about our phones, most phones have this capability, is that on an iPhone, you can just go to settings and screen time, and you can see how much time you spend on your phone. Now, luckily for you, it, it usually rolls over on Sundays, and so your time is going to be low right now. But you can look at last week. The average American, five hours and four minutes a day. Before you shake your head, you should check your phone. I mean, I'm, I'm and look, I'm preaching to you this morning as somebody who's preaching to myself. I mean, I'm at about four hours, 54 minutes. So I'm, I'm not doing, well, I'm doing a little better than the average American. But a lot of time is spent on these five hours a day, added up day, after day, after day, has a huge effect on our lives. And now pretty much all the research shows that the more time one spends on social media, especially in adolescence, there's a strong correlation to symptoms of depression and suicidal thoughts. They're still trying to figure out is it causation, is it just correlation, But, but the data pretty much shows the more time you spend on these things is highly correlated with the presence of those symptoms. And I think you probably realize this, that we are more connected than ever before, but largely we are lonelier than ever before. And so all of this technology, it has effects on us. And it can harm us mentally. And emotionally, in the ways we're using that. And, and we need to realize that as we're engaging these different things. But, but it's not just that. We also know it harms relationships. I mean, one person, they said, I hate how fubbing is destroying conversations and socialization. Y'all know what fubbing is? This is phone snubbing. This is when you use your phone to snub somebody else. And so it's, it's, it's like a lot of those things in the video. This is when your phone comes in between you and in the flesh relationships. And we've all experienced this where where we're we're having dinner and and the person is so engrossed in their phone that that they're actually there and they're not here. They're, They're not live in that relationship engaging. And it has harmed many of our relationships, our usage of these things. But not only has it harmed our relationships, there's also harm done I think in spiritual ways. Rick Warren, I love what he says. He says, look, these devices and technologies are simply new sources of old temptations. They're new sources of old temptations. And one of the things about technology and social media that you might not realize is that because they're disembodied, because we're communicating through screens and through tablets, we're not able to see the person on the other side, and see the effects of what we're doing to them. And so it's easier to do things through a phone and through social media, to say things that we would never do in real life. I mean, think about this. It's a lot easier to be unkind on social media than it is to do it to somebody's face. Because we don't see the effect that it has on them. I mean, this is why bullying is such an issue these days. It's, it's not simply that we're more aware of it and there's more conversations about it. It's that it used to be the bullies were at school and they would, they would do their stuff at school, but now they're around all the time. They're in everyone's homes through technologies. It's a lot easier to be unkind through these things. It's a lot easier to do a lot of things, I mean, including things like flirtation, right? I mean... Not many of us would just grab coffee with an old ex-girlfriend, uh, even though we have been married for a decade. But on social media, you, you get a friend request or you send out a friend request and then you start chatting and then things start progressing and you think, well, this isn't real life. But now Facebook is one of the most commonly cited things in divorce cases. Because it's affecting marriages in such a strong way because we, we think, oh, well, this is just, this is just a message. It's a lot easier to access things like pornography. A lot of people wouldn't just go down to the gas station and grab a magazine, but now there's unlimited access anytime for free. One out of every five searches it's estimated is for pornography. It's a lot easier to to try and make ourselves look better, to covet other people's things, It's a lot easier to do harm to other people and in a lot of ways, these things inflict harm upon ourselves. I really realized the gravity of this when one person responded to my email, what do you like least? And they said, what do I like least? This is my mother-in-law. She said it contributed to my son's death. Because some of you know this if you've been around a few years, but my brother in law, who I will never meet, was killed by a girl who was distracted by her phone while she was driving. Irreparable damage, irreparable harm can be done when we use these things improperly. And now I'm not not saying all that to scare you into smashing your phones or your kids' phones this evening. Might not be the worst thing for some families. But I am saying we need to recognize that harm can be done through these things as people use them in harmful ways. We need to recognize that and we, as people of faith, need to commit against doing harm through them as well, recognizing how easy it is, committing against it. And now, that's the principle, do no harm. And one simple practice that I'll leave you with for each point, for this one, is this, is is to shut down your devices regularly. To shut down your devices regularly, turn off your phone, turn off your computer, turn off social media, take a break every once in a while this is easier said than done if you've ever tried to take a cell phone away from somebody I would say teenager but really an adult as well it's very difficult because there is a team of engineers behind every app every device created to get you to pick this up as often as possible and so this is difficult, but this is a very fruitful thing when you begin to shut down your devices and spend some time away from them. One author, uh, Andy Crouch, in his great book, TechWise Family, he says, uh, he says, I advocate for one hour a day, shut down your phone, one day a week, keep your phone away, one week a year. That's his family's rhythm. Now, you may not think this is a big deal. You might not see how this is connected with doing no harm. But what happens when we're able to just set aside our devices, our social media accounts, turn off notifications, even for a short amount of time, we begin to step back and we begin to be able to get perspective on how these things are shaping us on what's going on in our hearts. I mean, one, one thing we don't do often now is we don't just reflect. We don't sit with ourselves and with our own emotions and our own spiritual thoughts. We just entertain ourselves through our phones. And so when we step back, we're able to see how other people are using this maybe to harm us. We're seeing how we're using them, how maybe it's making us put our identity in what other people think about us and the number of likes we get. But stepping aside gives us a chance to reflect to be renewed, to spend time in real in-the-flesh relationships and to spend time apart from our devices with God. Just just putting them down is a great practice. And so as a family, I I hope this inspires great conversations in the car on the way home. (laughs) Couples, kids, everybody. So that's the practice there, shut down regularly. And before we move on to the next point, I'm gonna address this very short, Although this is probably one of the most common questions parents have these days because it is the number one reason why parents say parenting is harder in this generation than ever before is because of all of this technology. So parents often say, What do I do? Right? Like, I mean, it's out of control in my house, it's controlling us, it's controlling my kids. And uh, there, there is a lot of resources out there for you, filters and time manager apps and products and everything. But I'll just say this. I think the most effective thing you can do, and this is something I've been doing, trying to take stock of as I'm becoming a father, is to first hold up a mirror. Is to hold up a mirror and to look and think about how you're using these things, how you're shape, being shaped by them, what you're modeling for your household. And first... Begin to deal with that yourself and then move on to the other people in your family. And if you want more resources, I can help point you to some more. But that's what I'd say on this first one, do no harm. And then uh, the second principle, it's very simple as well. It's very simple, but it can be hard to do, is this. It is do good. Do good. Now, this is also rooted in the great commandment. Because when we're loving other people, we're, we're, we're doing good. Somebody is playing uh, something through here as a joke. Thank you. Who's doing that? Daniel? Who is doing that? Oscar in the back? I don't know who's doing that. Um, Siri is playing back here. Um, do good. This principle is also rooted in Paul's words to the church in Galatia where, where he says this. He says, a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And it's easy to see the harm now that that social media does. We're kind of on this backlash now. But I want you to also see that great good can be done as we use these technologies to bless, to encourage, and to serve other people. I mean, one of the amazing things, and and people said this, this is one of the greatest things they love about all this, is that we can connect with people anytime, any place, and we can encourage them we can love them, we can offer to serve them just in the palm of our hand. And I'm gonna do that right now to show you. I'm gonna text all my pastor buddies and I'm just gonna say, hope you're having an awesome Sunday, exclamation point, God loves you, exclamation point. I love using the dictation on here. It annoys Emily to all get out. So I just, you know, super easy super easy. And I, ha- I have people do this to me at various times. And it is amazing to wake up or to just be going throughout the day and, and someone just sends you a word or a note of encouragement. And I think we would all agree that we are all under encouraged. And so it is a blessing to connect with someone, to-, to wish them a happy birthday, to just call and check in and say, hey, you were on my mind. Sometimes I'll, I'll just be in prayer and God will bring somebody to my mind and I don't necessarily know why, and I'll just send a text message. Hey, I was thinking about you and I prayed for you today. Love you. Nobody has ever gotten mad that I did that. It's easy to bless other people. And when social media is used at its best, it's used to supplement, encourage real life relationships. But I mean, one thing that can happen, and this was something kind of wild a few years ago. I have a blog which is kind of defunct now. I don't I don't write on it too much anymore. But a few years ago, a guy emailed me, and his name was Dan, and he was from Ghana, Ghana, Africa. Now, you might be thinking that this is the beginning of some scam story because you might have gotten emails asking you for money. But he said, hey, uh, I, I saw your blog. I love what you write. I'm a Methodist pastor who's young in Ghana. And so we began emailing over the years, and now we communicate on WhatsApp. He just had a son recently. And so now we're talking about fatherhood stuff. He sends me picture pictures of his worship services, and I send him pictures of ours and what we're doing, and we pray for each other. He prays for you, our church. I pray for him. We support one another. And and this is crazy. I've never met him in real life, although he has sent me physical gifts in the mail. We have developed this encouraging friendship through social media. He, he's doing good to me. He's encouraging me as someone who is on the other side of the world. And it's such a blessing that we can encourage other people and we can connect through these ways. So that's one way you can do good. Another way you can do good is by using them to witness to other people. To witness is simply to share what you, you've seen, heard, or experienced uh, with others about, about Jesus. And, and we actually have someone in our church who's active in recovery and she keeps a regular blog where she just talks about what God's done in her life lately and how God is redeeming her story. And it's amazing to see the comments. People, will, people who would never step foot in a church will just say, thank you for sharing. That's so inspiring. And it's easy to be a witness for Jesus, to, to spread his message and his love through these things. It's also easy to point other people away from Jesus through these things, but it's easy to be a witness. And it's also easy to begin making a real difference in the world. I mean, when social media is used at its best, we can also do good and help meet real needs around us. I mean, one thing that's crazy now, and this is a revolution in the church world, in in 30 seconds or less, you can give to the mission and ministries of Harvest Point online, right now, anytime. Sometimes we get gifts at 3 a.m. People are in bed, and they say, you know what, I wanna give right now. And they give. I mean, it is crazy. We can be aware of injustices going on in the world and we can help raise awareness and we can help send support to people all over the world almost instantly now. And I have one friend, he's a pastor in Texas at Chapelwood United Methodist Church and they had flooding a while back. And you might remember the Houston floods. There were these issues where all these people were in their houses. They had cell phones so they were in their houses. The floodwaters rising. And you didn't have enough emergency workers. But you had all these people with boats who wanted to go in and wanted to help other people. And so this software developer at his church made a website that connected people who were in need of being rescued with rescuers who were ready to go. And in Houston, thousands of people were saved from the rising floodwaters. And now... They've extended it to other crises around the world and over 45,000 people have been rescued in hurricanes and other natural situations by people as he's using all of this stuff to bring people together and to do good. Great good can come from these things. And so that's the principle, the practice I want to give you, and you can make up your own question, but the one I like to think is this, and sometimes I even put a little sticker on my phone, and that is, who can I encourage today? Through this stuff that sometimes feels like a burden, who can I bless today? And to begin asking yourself that and living that out on a daily basis, that's the second thing. Do good. And then the third one is this. This is a paraphrase of what Wesley said, but but the third principle is, is use these things to stay in love with God, to cultivate your relationship with God and to love him more and more in your everyday life. Now, parents, you might have a kid come to you on the way out of church and say, Pastor Jonathan said I need a cell phone so that I can stay in love with God and I can grow closer to him. And that's not what I'm saying. I think you should wait until as long as humanly possible before you give him a phone. Until it's just going to break down your household. But I think these things can be used to help cultivate, encourage, and inspire our relationship with God. And you might not have ever used your device for this or thought about this. But I mean, think about now reading the Bible. It used to be that you you had to carry your Bible with you everywhere. Now, when you're at the doctor's office and then an hour late, you have access to the Bible in pretty much any translation you want in the palm of your hand through apps like the Bible app. Almost 400 million people have downloaded it around the world. There's reading plans where, where you, can, you can have a daily notification, push notification to say, hey, have you read yet? There's another app called the Dwell app where it will read Scripture over you. And I know a lot of people, when they're getting ready in the morning, they'll just click on and they'll just have Scripture read over them as they commute, as they drive. This can help encourage our relationship with God through, through accessing the Bible. There's also apps that help with prayer. It's kind of crazy. There's one in your bulletin. It's called Inner Room. I linked to it there with just the name of it you can search it and this helps you make a list it gives it gives ways you can track your prayers when you say you're praying for somebody it can remind you to say a prayer for them so it can help us with our prayer life it can help you worship because while we worship corporately we're also called to worship personally and so now through apps like Spotify and elsewhere you can you can stream pretty much any song we sing on Sunday morning you can stream it in your house and you can sing it at the top of your lungs even if you're afraid to sing at the top of your lungs here at church. Uh, we want you to feel welcome to do that, but, but you can worship doing that. There's daily devotionals. You can have email to your email every single morning to start your day off in that way. This is a great tool for accountability. You can tell other people, hey, I need help. Will you text me each day and remind me to do this or encourage me in this way? These things can be used to help us Stay in our relationship with God. Stay in love with Him and grow in love with Him. And so the practice here I'll leave you with is this. For some of you, to grow in your relationship with God, you might need to delete some apps. Others of you, maybe try downloading some apps. Download the Bible app. Download, there's some listed in your bulletin there that might be helpful. Sometimes I just have to delete all the social media apps from my phone because it's not good for me. There's seasons where I do that, where I just disable accounts. Sometimes you need to delete some. Sometimes you need to download some. But you can use these devices and this technology for good, to connect with other people and grow more in love with them, to connect with God and to grow more in love with Him as well. And so those are the three very simple guides that I hope will guide you through your usage of technology. Do no harm, do good, and use them to stay in love with God, and if you begin doing those things and living them out, what you'll see is that your life will begin to be different, and your life will actually probably begin to look different than other peoples around you, and and this isn't a bad thing, because Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he rose again so that our lives would be different, not so they'd be tweaked or a little bit better or a little more comfortable, He came so that we will be different, so that we would move from death to life, so that we would move from hopelessness to hope, from living and looking like the culture to being a light to the culture. And so my hope is this morning that we can be a community that lives and looks different than the world. And let's pray now and ask God to make it so. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, for making us in your image, and we know that you are a creative God. And so we thank you for creativity and for these new technologies that are helping uh, do great good in the world, that are helping us come to know you more, to study your word in a deeper way. And God, we also recognize that we've used these things in harmful ways and they've been used against us in harmful ways. So God, we ask that you would help us search our hearts and to to turn from those things, to turn closer to you. And God, we know that none of this is easy. It's easy to say and to think on a Sunday morning, but it's very difficult in the week. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would give us strength, self-control, gentleness, kindness, and wisdom as we continue to live in the midst of this huge cultural shift. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.